welcome to the Smut and Spice podcast, where we're living vicariously through the female main characters in reverse harems, dark romances, paranormal romances, and bully romances. We're your hosts, Sam and Ashley. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing the work of our good friend, Colette Rhodes. Uh, We've opted to include a trigger warning for this episode. There are themes of physical and verbal abuse. Be warned, this episode may contain spoilers and explicit content that is inappropriate for those under 18. This show is not for children. All right. Well, thank you so much for being patient with us as we ended up having to take the last two weeks off. Ash and I were both having some really stressful times at work, and we just needed the time to collect ourselves over the weekend. Uh We're really prioritizing our mental health, especially after this last week for me. Uh, But this will actually be a nice break for me so I can get out of my head after all of this. But thank you for being patient with us. It is much appreciated. Yes, thank you guys so much for all of your support and patience and just everything that you do for us in general. You know, discussing books, listening to our podcast. You're the best. The real MVPs. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Uh, So, like Ash said in the intro, we are talking about the works of Colette Rhodes this week. I'm very excited. I went on, like, a binge a few weeks ago where I was like, I'm just going to read a whole bunch of Colette Rhodes books. And I loved every single thing that I read from her. So, I'm really excited to dive into us talking about her this week. Same. So, the first series we are talking about is the Three Bears Duet. Uh, which is arguably Colette's most popular series. It's pretty big on Book Talk. I know a lot of people like to recommend it. And it is a modern retelling of Goldilocks and the Three Bears with a shifter twist, as in the Three Bears are bear shifters. <laughs> um, so our story follows, I was saying it like Aurelia. Is that's, that how you were saying it, Ash? Yeah, that's how I was saying it too. But her friends call her Rhea, which... Not Thank all God. of the guys, not all the guys are allowed to call her Rhea at first. Uh, she comes from a family of fox shifters who live in New York City, and she has never really felt at home there. So she decided that she was going to move to Alaska. Um, she's not a fox shifter herself. She's what the community refers to as a carrier, as in she carries the genetic traits of a shifter, but she cannot shift into a fox. Uh, but she has a new boyfriend. Her new boyfriend's name is Derek. He's a lawyer. And things, and he, Derek's a lawyer. And things are moving really fast with Derek. He's really eager to get her to move in with him in a cabin in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in the Alaskan wilderness. Not a and, creep at all. You know, we love Rhea, but I feel like some red flags should have been going off at that point where you're like, maybe I shouldn't move into the middle of nowhere with my boyfriend who I've been with for like two months. And that's the thing with Rhea. She makes poor choices all the time. Like this is this is a theme for her. (laughs) She does own up to them, though, which I really appreciate. She will reflect and go, wow, I'm a huge dumbass. Yes. And... That just, you know, that's also happens with her in this move to Alaska, her relationship with Derek. Things are just, she's not, not going to be a good time. So literally the day that Rhea moves into the cabin with Derek, she's immediately getting sketchy vibes. 
And he's like, I really, I'm so sorry. I have to go back to work. These people won't leave me alone. And she's like, mm-hmm, yes, okay. And then she steals his phone off of him. And the minute he leaves, she goes through his phone and finds out that he's cheating on her. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Which, like, that's so shitty. Like, oh, I'm just going to drop you off at my cabin in the woods and go off to fuck my other girlfriend. <laughs> like, like there's nothing that? to even do there. Like, you got to at least keep her company before you go off and cheat on her. It's very rude. Wi-Fi. She hasn't had any time to settle in. <laughs> very, very rude of you, Derek. Derek's so, rude throughout the entire book, so fuck him. So Rhea just goes balls to the wall and is like, okay, you're cheating on me. I'm going to lose my absolute shit. And destroys his phone with a fire poker, which I'm down for. And steals his gun that he has and, and this his is my weed. my favorite part. <laughs> and smokes all of his weed and then decides that she's just going to go walk through the woods and try to find the road that they came in on. And this bitch gets completely lost in the Alaskan wilderness. And we said before she is a carrier, so she doesn't have, like, you know, those same special attributes like she doesn't have like the super good like sense of smell (laughs) she obviously doesn't have a good sense of direction she's obviously (laughs) not super strong so to just be like trekking through the woods like this is just not 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 a good idea for her it's not like she's really good at keeping herself warm because she's pretty much just like a normal human i mean she's not really good at keeping herself alive in general if we're being honest (laughs) other than her will to live (laughs) so she's high and stumbling around the woods and she comes across a gorgeous cabin and decides that she's just gonna let herself into this cabin Uh, the door is unlocked she states several times in her own defense and her decision is to have a snack get cracker crumbs everywhere (laughs) Try out all the different beds. She takes a bath at one point. She's just really, she has a beer in the bath. She's living the life in this strange cabin that she's found in the woods. And she falls asleep in the bed. And that's when these three brother bear shifters find her. So that's, you know, the whole three bears aspect. Like, didn't you get it? (laughs) Um... Yeah, so the bears find her. Uh, So the bears are Noah, Seth, and Eli. Noah and Seth are twins, and Eli is the baby of the family, but they're all older, right, Ash? How how old are the boys? So I think that Eli is 32, and Seth and Noah are 34 or 36, uh, maybe? Does that, that sounds right. I'm fairly sure that Eli is 32. I know that one for sure. So we like that this is a much more aged up reverse harem. A lot of the reverse harems that we end up reading, like everyone's in their like late teens, early 20s. And it's like, I would like to read about some older characters. Well, yeah, as as I'm 30 now, I'm kind of like 
when I'm reading high school reverse harems, sometimes I feel kind of gross. Like, I have to, like, tell myself Mm -hmm. these are not high school-aged individuals. Like, I I think about Hannaford Prep specifically, and I have to be like, okay, these, like, are high school-aged people, but they're not, you know, doing high school-aged things. You just age them up in your head. Yeah. (laughs) I have to to make it okay. Uh, so all three of the guys are living on their own after their parents died in a fire when they were very young. And they built this cabin with their own <laughs> Quotes, two hands. died in a fire. Yes. Um, they have a lot of trauma that they're working through. Noah especially has taken on this role of having to take care of them constantly, being the protector, like the alpha of the family. And that weighs on him a lot throughout the series. Seth has a lot of anger issues, um, and those anger issues come out a lot when he shifts. He's, like, the least in control of his bear, so he shifts the least, but his bear is actually, like, the most powerful. And Eli is very much the Blake Bowman of the trio. Very fun-loving. He is a lot more laid back, and he doesn't have as much on his shoulders as his two older brothers do. And Eli is the first one that actually hooks up with Rhea, right? Yeah, Eli is immediately attracted to Rhea. He's like, he sees her in that bed and he's like, yes, I want to bone this girl. Uh, The Blake Bowman. Gotta love him. But Eli and Seth are pretty much immediately on board with being attracted to Rhea and wanting to welcome her into their home. And Noah is much more standoffish. He's very protective and he is very against any kind of change. So in Noah's head, he sees Rhea coming in as something that could be dangerous, something that's going to hurt his brothers, and he is pushing back against it the entire time. Yeah, and the brothers always said that, you know, they were interested in taking a mate together. Um, But, you know, like we said, Seth and Eli are both very on board, but Noah is, like, absolutely not. Noah is a park ranger, so for a stranger to, like, show up unannounced and be in his bed in their cabin it's just like i don't know that really puts him off from ria i feel like it really does he he has this perception he calls her little thief throughout both books (laughs) and he has this perception of her really in the beginning of this like vagrant that wandered into his house high and fucked everything up which i mean he's not wrong in that (laughs) uh Really, what I love about this duet is the journey that all of our main characters go through. This is a multi-POV, so you don't just get Rhea's point of view. You get to hear from all of the guys. And you really get to see their doubts through their point of view. You get to see the emotional journey that they're going through. And you get to learn a lot about them as characters and the dynamics between them. I think Colette does an amazing job in all of her books of focusing on character development and the relationship building between them. So everything feels very authentic and earned. I think that a lot of reverse harem authors fall into this trap of, I want to get these people into a relationship as fast as possible so we can get to the sexy times. And the actual relationship building and character development falls by the wayside. But Colette does a really great job of really focusing on building those relationships organically between her characters. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we talk about this a lot um, 
in terms of the harem from Lola and the Millionaires, where it's like, oh, like some of the guys and their relationship with Lola is like super well developed. But then when you think about towards the end of the series, like mm-hmm. things with Cyrus just feel really rushed and not as organic as her relationships with the other characters. Um, so like Sam said, I feel like Colette is so good about making sure that all of her characters have a very well-developed relationship with the female main character. You get a ton of background information that explains, you know, why they are the way that they are. Um, and I just, you know, all of her stuff is just really well done. So kudos, Colette. Very much so. I also loved how it wasn't just focused on the main, like, conflict. There was also a lot of individual personal growth happening. Like, all of the guys and Rhea are, like, searching for their own personal happiness and trying to find things that interest them and trying to figure out what their ideal life looks like. So there's a lot of internal conflict as well as external conflict throughout the series. And I felt like that really added to it because it didn't feel like Colette was just, like, throwing conflict on for the sake of conflict, which definitely happens sometimes where it's, like, there's way too much going on in this book. Instead of adding in additional conflict... She focused more on the character's internal struggles, and that really allowed you to get to know the characters as well. Yeah, like, for example, Noah goes through quite a few, um, you know, tumultuous things in his youth. And uh, like we said, he takes on that role of being the alpha and the protector. So he kind of puts all of his own you know, personal goals to the wayside to make sure that his brothers have a good life. So that's a big focus in this series is like him just kind of learning to do things for himself and making himself happy. Oh, absolutely. I really loved that. And uh, Noah definitely went from being one of my least favorite characters to at the end, absolutely. He was my favorite. Oh yeah. I, to no one's surprise, I cried at the end of book one and at the beginning of book two, there was just so much that Noah was going through that like really resonated with me of him feeling like he has to be perfect all the time and do everything exactly right. And when he doesn't do that, he felt like such a personal failure and like he cut himself off from having anything good because he felt like he didn't deserve it. And it was just like, God, that hit me right in the chest of like, you're allowed to deserve good things even if you're not a perfect person all the time. Yeah, because no one is a perfect person all the time. Colette really makes me cry in every single book I read. <laughs> I have not cried in any of Colette's books. <laughs> Which I, I'm going to tell you guys at the end of this episode, I did finally cry at a book. But we'll get to that at the end. <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts on the Three Bears duet? Um, so this is not going to be a surprise to anyone at all, but the only thing that I disliked about this series is that the harem is made of brothers. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously there's no male-on-male action going on there. Um you know, there's like threesomes and stuff like that, but it's just, it's not the same for me. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't, it's not bad. Like it's not my favorite when they're brothers, but I still liked it. The epilogue was adorable. I loved that 10 out of 10 would recommend. A hundred percent agree. Uh, moving on to the next book. So this is going to be a series, uh, 
Did Colette say it was going to be a four book series? I think that she said either four or five. Got it. So there's only one book out in the series so far, and uh, it's the State of Grace series, and the first book is called Run Riot. Uh, Ash and I both read this. Ash read it first and then told me I absolutely needed to read it, and she was 100% right, as she usually is. And there is just the world that Colette has created in this book is one of my absolute favorites. I love what she has done here. Oh, I agree. And I think that the world building for this series was just like, it's not, it's not that type of world building where you feel like you have to go through all of this exposition before you can understand what's going on in the story. So it just kind of flows with what she's writing and you're like, okay, this makes total sense. I don't have to devote, you know, 16 chapters to knowing what's going on here. So I think that that was very nice. And (laughs) i appreciate sorry my cat keeps jumping up on my fucking keyboard (laughs) so i really appreciate that when there's not a ton of exposition and we can just kind of understand what's going on in like the fantasy world right up front yeah absolutely so in this book our female main character is grace grace is a type of supernatural being called an agathos Um, And their whole purpose is to ease human suffering and silently guide them to a path of light. And their goddess is, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, I was pronouncing it as Anisadora. That's how I was saying it as well. So, okay. We're going to go with that. (laughs) So in this world, there are like dueling ideologies. So we have Grace and the Agathos uh, who follow Anisadora, which is like the goddess of light. And then there is the goddess of night, who is followed by all of the demons. La nuit, French. Um, So Grace pretty much lives her whole life feeling like she's defective. Like she feels as though like she's the Agathos who can't do anything right. Um, So all the Agathos have like gifts or powers that they use to help the humans around them. Grace's power is that she can bring luck to humans. Uh, But in return, she gets bad luck to, like, balance it out. And it's the fucking worst. I can't imagine having a worse power where you do something nice for someone and, like, give them good luck. And then you just know you have this inevitable feeling of doom that later on that day something fucking awful is going to happen to you. I mean, I would not even feel compelled to do anything nice for people. <laughs> like that's just that's this is exactly what I said. I said what a shitty fucking deal in our notes for this episode because <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. It's so bad. Ugh. I have I have a lot of thoughts on this mythology that Colette has created and I feel like a lot of the gifts that Grace describes could really be described as gifts, but Grace in particular, it really feels like a curse. And there's a lot of like, there seems to be a darker side to all of the ideology that Grace was brought up in that very much reminds me of Christianity and how that can really be turned into like a darker cult-like mindset when you want to just focus on like controlling other people and how they... Uh, where was I going with that? How they oh. behave. Yes, or what they controlling. Believe. Exactly. There really is a lot of parallels between like the Pentecostal preachers, the like absolutely devout Christians that consistently judge other people and make a lot of um, 
split second judgments just based on like how you look and how you behave and what we see from the Agathos throughout this series. So I was drawing a lot of parallels in my mind as I was reading through. Yeah, and for me, I have, you know, kind of a weird interest in Mormonism. So that's immediately what I thought of when I was reading this series. It's <laughs> what I was Oh yeah, I can of. definitely see that. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, just like the fact that uh, they have, like, they're polygamous and, I mean, polygamous in the opposite way that we normally see in, you know, Mormon, like, LDS, but. Any any good Mormon would tell you that they are not polygamist and that's, that's made up, <laughs> made up bullshit. They wouldn't say bullshit, though, because Mormons don't cuss. <laughs> just like Grace doesn't cuss. <laughs> leading off of what Ash just said, Agathos women are called to their bonded, um, which is a group of men that then become their, like, mates, basically, their soulmates. Uh, This usually happens at a pretty young age, like, starting around 16 to 18, but Grace is 25 and hasn't met any of her bonded yet, and it really starts to feel like the one single woman in a Southern (laughs) Baptist community where everyone is just kind of side-eyeing you and making silent judgments and telling you that they'll pray for you and think the about you and your old maid and think about you and your singleness <laughs> your singleness and that's that's what i hated that's you know that pretty much opening scene where verity may that's one of grace's friends she's having her baby shower and verity may like singles grace out and she's like everybody play Pray, play, pray for Grace Bellamy. It was so fucking cringe. It was just awful. I would, I wanted to die for Grace. It was really condescending. It was like, look at how wonderful my life is and how happy I am. And then look at poor Grace and what a sad old maid she is. (laughs) And let's all pray and think about how much better my life is than Grace's. Her and her lack of bonded and her empty womb. Yeah, it's really fucking terrible. So <laughs> fuck you, Verity May. Yeah, fuck honestly all of the Agathos. But anyway, oh they. Uh, so I mean, we're not gonna like go into detail and say like all the really horrible shit that happens, but they are fucking horrible. All they of really the are. Agathos horrible. So. Grace obviously wants to get away from this because she feels constantly judged and feels like a failure all the time. So she moves to the city uh, in a move that her family hates. Her mother is constantly berating her over the fact that she chose to move here. Uh, The city is called Milton, and it's seen as one of the worst cities in the country. There's a really high crime rate, and that's partially because it's filled with demons. So uh, Grace works at an Agathos-run shelter uh, and is forced to utilize her gifts at the shelter all the time because her boss is the fucking worst. She really is the fucking worst. She's so mean. She's so mean to Grace. And then she'll, like, use Grace's gifts and be like, have fun dealing with those consequences. Like, she doesn't give a shit that it's going to come back on Grace later. She just wants to feel better about Grace using her gifts and use them to her advantage and then move everything along. Which, again, poor Grace and her fucking awful power. So, obviously, Grace is feeling pretty down regarding her lot in life. 
And she's realizing that every time she prays to an Isadora, nothing happens. She doesn't even get what she wants. That so bitch she does goes, not listen. Grace decides to pray to the goddess of night, La Nuit, and that's when she realizes that sometimes goddesses do answer prayers, just not her goddess. And her candle gets blown out, and, like, she feels... It was feels, spooky. Yeah, it was, like, really a spooky scene where she's like, oh, shit, what did I do? Like, this might have real consequences for me. It's not like fucking an Isadora who doesn't listen. <laughs> Lanuit's like, gotcha. I'm gotcha, girl. We good. I got you. <laughs> so then we're introduced to Riot, who oh, is this baby, who is a good time drug loving demon. <laughs> um, his, the whole purpose of demons is that they are supposed to ruin human lives. They're supposed to add conflict in, basically. They love some They're chaos. The- they're the devil on the shoulder to the supposed angels that the Agathos are supposed to be. Um, but really, I really see it more as them giving humans like free will and a choice. And sometimes humans choose to fuck up their own lives. That's certainly true. I mean, um, we're here for a good time, not for a long time, baby. There you go. <laughs> uh, but Riot is really conflicted about his role as a demon. He... It has been raised by a father who's a drug dealer. And he, he really feels as though, like, he doesn't fit in with the rest of the demons, just like Grace feels as though she doesn't fit in with the rest of the Agathos. And there's a lot of parallels that we'll see between how Grace feels and how Riot feels at where their roles fall. Um, he does love cocaine, though. So <laughs> Riot has that going for him. Although Doesn't we do he learn- just like straight up do cocaine in her living room. It's been a while since I've read this and I was like skimming over it. But I'm pretty sure he just like fucking like straight up yeah. does, a, does a bump in her living room. Like because it's, it's, like, it's like his morning coffee. Like it's, it's like, like his- no fucking thing. Yeah. He does tell us that drugs affect demons differently than they affect humans, though. Um, they get all the positive side effects with none of the negative drawbacks, which is a nice fucking perk. But still, Grace is kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah, Grace is like, can you can you not do that in my living room? <laughs> Little Miss Goody Two-Shoes and fucking cocaine-loving Riot. Uh, so- <laughs> riot, Riot, sweet Riot. So Riot saves this human named Ray, who... Uh, is known in the shelter where Grace works, and Ray decides to call Grace to come and pick her up. And Grace is immediately drawn to Riot, and she starts feeling really odd. And she's wondering, did is this happening because I prayed to Lanui the other night? Like, she is immediately wondering what the fuck is going on with her. And Grace basically looks at Riot and is like, why don't you come with me? And he's like... He's also feeling weird. So he's like, okay, I'll get in your car. Yes, just and a stranger. He's going to just <laughs> hop right in her car. This is fine. Both, both of them are, like, really feeling strange and, like, feeling pulled to one another. And they're both just kind of, like, along for the ride of, like, just following their intuition and not really thinking too hard about it. Uh, but it doesn't feel forced. It really feels like a relationship that develops naturally. But at the same time, you can feel how confused they are about how quickly their relationship develops, which makes it feel really natural in the process. 
And I love how, like, I don't want to spoil too much, but, like, I love how gentle Riot is with Grace about everything. Like, I feel like he's never, you know, he never, like, pressures her or... Because Grace is not an experienced lady, okay? As you as you would expect, how <laughs> pure she has to be. And Riot's, you know, obviously he's done some shit. He's a demon. He likes having a good time. But he just is like, oh, he's precious with her, and I love it. Uh, so we see, again, Colette does such a great job of creating these very complicated characters. So part of grace's complications is her relationship with her family and she and how her family like interact with one another really drives home the idea that grace has been told from a very young age that there is something wrong with her that she doesn't make good choices that how she reacts is not how an agatha should react and it's like she it has been browbeat into her over and over again that she is not normal she isn't a good Agathos. And you see her grappling with that and with her self-image and with everything her family has taught her throughout the series. And I have a really difficult time with the fact that her fathers are just kind of, you know, they'll, they'll just go along with whatever her mother wants. And that mm-hmm. that really hurt, you know, that just hurts me as a parent that, they would allow that kind of behavior. And I know that that's, you know, the whole Agathos thing is that the women are valued and blah, blah, fucking blah, but it still was very upsetting because, like, first and foremost, she is their child. So that's just shitty, but... It really feels like her fathers are keeping her at an arm's length so that they don't have to feel, like, emotionally responsible for how her mother treats her. Yeah. So that, that was... That part is very depressing that, you know, and the fact that her mother is just a raging fucking bitch. Yeah, seriously. Beige doesn't look good with your complexion. Ugh. <laughs> Fuck off. The okay, weird. any final thoughts on Run Riot? Um, you're introduced to some other important characters in this series that are going to come into play in the next book, which is titled Silver Bullet. You'll meet Bullet. Um... And I'm just so excited for this next book. I just told Chris when I was skimming through it, I was like, I'm going to reread this because I loved it so much. So, Colette, if you could, uh, you know, if you're handing out any arcs, would be very much appreciated. Hey, hey. Hey. Um, But, yeah, this is a great book, great character development from Colette. And I love the, you know, kind of the parallels between the characters. So... Very well done. Oh, absolutely. I'm very excited for the next one. Oh, I know. I can't... Uh, I'm excited for Bullet's book, but there's another character who I'm also very excited for his book, so you're just going to have yeah. to read to find out that harem. Oh, and also, um, some of the members of the harem are made apparent, but not all of them. So if you read this book and you have any guesses, definitely message us, because Sam and I went back and forth with this for a quite a while and we guessed with Colette and she said that both of us were wrong so she she's keeping it a mystery so who knows all right so this next duet I read this on my Colette Rhodes reading spree but Ashley has not but I'm sure she'll chime in with her thoughts as I go through the summary of the book uh this is the Deadly Dragons duet um 
And I absolutely love these two books. So this story follows Shira, who is a golden dragon shifter, who was kidnapped in her childhood and has led her life living in various forms of captivity and abuse. So Shira really has not had a good start to life. She was kidnapped as a child, uh, watched her whole family be killed in front of her, and then she is kept in captivity up until the time when her mates come to rescue her. Um, as a golden, which is what she's referred to I'm like, just gonna in think the of a golden shortened retriever. form. <laughs> uh, goldens are seen as like the female center of all the dragon flights. So they're seen, they're like revered. They're supposed to be protected. They're they're very much the ideal of you're going to stay in the den, raise all of the children, do all the cooking and cleaning. We, you're, you don't need to protect yourself. You don't need to go and do anything. Your mates will do everything for you. Your job is to just stay at home. Ew. But, yes. I mean, no offense but, to people who want that, but. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the problem is that's not what Shira wants. And Shira's mates are able to rescue her from captivity, but they make a really grave mistake in assuming that Shira wants to lead the life that has been planned out for her. Because what Shira wants above everything else is revenge for her family. And they spend the whole time, like throughout all of book one pretty much, trying to convince her that she just needs to stay in the den and they'll take care of everything and you don't need to go anywhere. And Shira spends the whole time telling them no. That's not going to happen. I'm going to go do what I need to do. And it really comes to a tipping point where her mates realize, oh, shit, we fucked up. We have not been handling this situation well at all. Yeah, instead of being like, yeah, girl, we got you. We're going to go and fuck up these people for you, with you. Messing up. So so Shira eventually is able to set them straight. But... She there's a lot of repairing that needs to happen after all the damage that they did initially. Bravo. Try, yeah, exactly. But, you know, t- typical men <laughs> just fucking the situation up and then having to come back in and trying to make everything better. Basically, they were not uh, feminist kings. <laughs> no, not not feminist kings like our like our man Reese. Uh, <laughs> But really, the book does a really great job of exploring feminist themes of women's roles. Throughout both books, this becomes a topic of Shira pushing for more. Like, even once she gets to a point where her and her mates are in a better place with one another, she still wants more for herself. And she wants to push for other Goldens to be able to choose what they want their lives to look like. And that becomes, like, a central theme throughout, which I think is awesome. It's a great way of exploring real life themes in a fantasy environment. Oh, it's okay. I was just going to say, you know, I would expect that from Colette, like that kind of, you know, feminist theme. And yeah, I think that that's great. It's just what I wanted to add because I haven't read this book. (laughs) I wanted to feel included. Overall throughout, you know that Shira is an incredibly strong character. She's been through so much. Uh, And she really gets time to, like, develop individual bonds with each of her mates. And then you also get to see, like, how the mates interact with one another. 
because there is some conflict between her mates and you get to see them grow in their friendship with one another. Um, there are other books that take place in this universe. They are focused on some of the Fae that Shira meets along her journeys, including uh, the Fae that helps rescue Shira from her captivity in the first place, who I love. I do actually want to go through and read those books as well because there's a certain point where she tells off Shira's mates for how they've treated her, and I just love her so much. I want to read more from her point of view. <laughs> but I did want more with Shira and the guys. Like I felt like so much of the books was focused on this conflict of Shira getting revenge and then Shira trying to fight for a better place for Goldens in the society, and I just wanted more time of like Shira with the guys developing more of that relationship and having more time together. Um, it was just, it was a very plot driven book and I wanted some more like downtime for, for them to have with one another. More sexy times. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, my favorite guy in this harem was absolutely Oren and the alchemist was my absolute favorite character overall. She was so conniving and so sassy. And I love like her little input on who her favorite member in Shira's harem was. She'll just like pop in and be like, the green one's my favorite now. And then <laughs> I would say something stupid and she would change her mind. She was just a great like side character to add some comedic relief in what was ultimately a pretty serious two books. Um, but I really enjoyed them. I'm excited to read more in that universe. I love that. Those are always my favorite types of side characters. And I'm, I always want authors to do, you know, a book about that specific side character that's everyone's favorite. So if you're an author and you're listening. That's always what happens to Grace is she makes all these great side characters. And then all of her fan base is like, we want more from that character. And then suddenly all of her universes are going in eight different directions. <laughs> she said today, I saw in a post that she does like things to be interconnected. So that, that is one of my favorite things about Grace's series. Oh, they're just so good. I was telling Colette today to read Dark River because she hasn't read it. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> best harem like of all time we love x <laughs> he's so good all the male male <laughs> shabari right, Ash, daddy you have to tell me about this uh blood nor money standalone because i did not read this at all well i think that that was good that we did this for this episode because colette i mean actually has more books out than i guess that I had thought that she did just because Three Bears is obviously the one that gets talked about the most. Um, and when I had told her that I was going to read Blood Nor Money because I obviously have a vampire fetish or whatever, um, she was like, wow, that is probably one of my least favorite books. So let me know what you think about it. Um, oh. Yeah. So I was glad that I picked it and I really enjoyed the book. Um, Portia is our female main character and she is an extremely old Roman vampire like she is like real old um so she runs a burlesque club in London and burlesque is kind of like her passion um you know she loves the reaction that she gets from her fans and it works well for her schedule because she's a vampire so she can dance at nighttime um mm. I know and like some of her like costumes are described and it's very sexy too so I definitely want to read more books that have burlesque as like a theme. So if you have any recommendations, please let me know. 
Um, so she is this extremely old vampire. She's has her burlesque club. She's been around for a long ass time. And she has this guy, Calvis. He's also a Roman and he's also a vampire. And he has been obsessed with her like since before she was even turned. Um, and then, yeah, when she gets turned, the, you know, her maker to Calvis is kind of like, hey, I see that you're obsessed with her. Do you want to get turned too? And he's like, sure. So in order to <laughs> be able to look after her for his entire vampire life, um, he goes for it. So he watches her from the shadows for like thousands of years that he's just obsessed with her. Um, okay. He doesn't make his presence known. He's just kind of hanging out. Um, and one day he runs into like a fledgling vampire that was just kind of left to his own devices. And that is Louis. Um, and this is in France. He's just like a farmer that, you know, a vampire like takes a little bit too much and then turns him accidentally. Um, but Lewis is an amazing character. So Calvis is the one who's truly in charge. Like he's the alpha. He makes all the plans. And Lewis just kind of follows his directions. And he's like the sassy comedic relief. So he's so funny. Um, and Love there's that. this scene in the beginning where Calvis and Lewis are in their townhouse together. And like Calvis is in his room and Lewis is shirtless. And he like throws himself on Calvis's bed. And I was like, oh, like something is going to happen here between these two. Because they're both like obsessed with this vampire woman. That does, that, like she doesn't acknowledge their existence. I was like, these two are going to fuck. Spoiler <laughs> alert. They definitely do not fuck. Oh, I know you were disappointed about that. I was so sad because they're <laughs> honestly their chemistry. It was just like, oh, it was so perfect. Um, and I brought this up to Colette that I was so disappointed with that scene and all the the missed opportunity that it was. Um, and I think that she had said that she just thought that her like, her fan base wouldn't be into it or whatever, um, that she sort of regrets it. But I definitely think it could have been, the series would have been made better if it would have happened. Um, but I will say that there are instances where Lewis mentions topping a guy, like oh. a human. So okay. we don't get any, like, any of that happening, but it's mentioned. So... Um, basically what's happening is that Lewis and Calvis like live in London also and just kind of watch Portia from the shadows but there's this guy that's kind of like he's another old vampire so he's called the Imperator and he wants to encroach on Portia's territory and we later find out that he intends to make her like his queen um, yeah, and Portia, being the feminist queen that she is, is like, nah, I'm good. I'm cool by myself. Um, and then Peter's not okay with this. He sends his, like, little fledgling vampire army, and they set fire to her club and her apartment. So she kind of has to disappear after that because, you know, obviously everybody's going to think that she's dead. And in this series, vampires are um, impervious to fire, which I guess I had always thought that, like, fire was dangerous to vampires. Yeah, Is that's that... pretty common in vampire lore. Yeah, um, but in this, I think that they're, like, impervious to it. Um, 
So, like, she makes it out, and she's running away, and she's in this field, and a vampire tackles her, and that vampire <laughs> is Tur, and Tur is one of those funny, like, unhinged characters. He reminds me so much of Lucius from Dark River. He oh, is love like, that. <laughs> yeah, he is batshit crazy. He hates wearing clothes, and... He lives in this, like, dilapidated old house, and what he does is he exchanges sex for feeding. So he'll pleasure humans with sex. Like, he has, like, a whole, like, pleasure den. So he'll, like, pleasure humans in exchange for their blood. Um, Yeah, so at first Portia's kind of like, what the fuck? Because nobody's going to find her here. Um, And... Tyr kind of comes on to her, like, really strong. He's pretty much, I feel like, in love with her from the moment that he meets her and is like, hey, you're going to fall in love with me. And she, of course, is like, no, I'm good. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's how we would all react in that situation. (laughs) Yeah, especially with him being, like, so fucking crazy and living in this, like, awful, like, gross house. Because Portia's kind of used to a lap, like, living in a lap of luxury where she doesn't want for anything and a super nice things where that kind of stuff isn't important to tear. He just kind of like wants to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually the two hook up and Portia's like, holy shit, what have I been missing out on? Because she had previously only been sleeping with humans, but that vampire sex is on another level with tear. So that's consistent in all the vampire books we read. <laughs> I know. And, uh, like, oh, I love vampires so much. And, like, the feeding from each other. Like, she's like, don't bite me. And then eventually she is like, bite me. So, anyway, all this is happening with the Imperator. And Portia has been aware of the fact that Calvis and Lewis have been following her for centuries. But I guess, like, they both just mutually decided that, you know, oh, like, we're just not going to say anything. And just continue to be fucking creeps about this so Portia and Tyr reach out to them um and Calvis is wary of Tyr at first but you know it's kind of like okay well this is a package deal at this point if he's gonna help us fight the Imperator but Lewis absolutely hates Tyr so the banter between the two of them is hilarious and Lewis is like, no, after this, you're not going to be a thing with us. It's going to be me and Calvis and Portia, and you're just going to be dead because I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Um, And Tur just kind of shrugs it off, and Tur accepts the fact that, like, the four of them belong together, and, like, this is going to be a thing. Um, So they they end up running from the Imperator. They make this plan, and they're going to engage in this battle. But it turns out that the Imperator has way more subjects than they anticipated. So they this battle goes completely awry. Um, vampires are dying and there's like gunshots, which that's like a whole nother thing. But you have to read it. Um, the police show up and, you know, some people are captured and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm not going to tell you the whole thing that happens because I think that you should read it. There is a happily ever after. Um, there's good sex scenes in this, obviously, because vampires. Um, because vampires. <laughs> exactly. And I know that Colette had said that some readers found Portia unlikable, but I loved her. She's a confident female main character, so she's not, you know, that meek, like... I can't protect myself type, even though she's had uh, Calvis and Lewis looking after her for fucking centuries. Um, So she was sassy and confident. And that's the type of female main character that I like to read. So I had no problems with her. 
Um, so if you like vampires, you're looking for a reverse harem where not all of the guys are friends <laughs> initially, this is a good one. And if you like a slightly unhinged harem member, Tyr is very much for you. Um, he's just really cute and funny, so I would Love recommend it. it. All right. So that wraps up our thinking on Colette's books that we've read so far. There are still some that we haven't read yet. Overall, I just, I love Colette's writing style. I love all of the thought and character development that she puts into her books. She does such a fantastic job with character development and her ability to make me feel such strong feelings is really admirable. (laughs) And I think for me, you know, one of the reasons why I love Colette's books is, like, just the way that she writes and the flow of her writing, the banter between the characters, the comedic relief, it's just all very well done. And she's also one of the nicest people. If you want to talk to her about books, absolutely reach out because she'll talk with you. Um, And I'm just, I'm so happy that we can call her a friend of the podcast. Absolutely. All right, so let's jump into what we are reading this week. So obviously it's been a few weeks. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I haven't been reading at the rate I typically do just because the stress has been eating into uh, my ability to focus on a book. But uh, there has been quite a few things I've read since you last heard from us. Um, I did say I was planning on reading Morning Glory Milking Farm, and I did. I really enjoyed it. I also followed that up with another monster romance called Finding Her Luck, uh, which was an orky monster romance. Uh, So much. There's so much spanking in the book. Oh, it's so good, though. (laughs) I I really enjoyed it. The end went by really fast. (laughs) God, so funny. I did want more at the end. Like, I felt like the end was a little bit rushed. But overall, I really enjoyed uh, that book. I also read both The Stopover and The Takeover by T.L. Swan because Sarah has been uh, demanding that I read them for months now. And I finally got around to it. I enjoyed them. They are uh, contemporary male-female uh, romances. The, the Takeover had a lot of humor in it, which I really enjoyed. Then I read the three books that are out so far in the Reborn series by M. Sinclair, which is another Dragon Shifter series. <laughs> um, I've been enjoying that, too. The final book, I believe, comes out this month, so I'm excited to finish that up. We did a group read of Haunting Adeline, which I know that uh, Ash is going to talk more about when she gets to talk about what she read, but we all enjoyed it. It was a good spooky read. We're going to have to choose another spooky read as we get into spooky season because that should really be a focus for us because we live our best spooky lives yes uh i read the entire lost sentinel series by ivy asher which i really enjoyed um and then on ashley's recommendation i read the lady in the orc by finley fenn which oh my god so (laughs) much come At one point, I texted the group chat and said, are they just sleeping in puddles of cum every single night? Like, who is cleaning all of this up? Right, is there, like, a janitorial team in Orc Mountain? 
you can't describe someone's vagina as geysering out cum and not put a very clear picture in my mind of exactly what this bed looks like when you're done. I just feel like if you have a cream pie fetish, that that series is just made for you. It's it's made for you. Just give it a chance. Oh my god. Um I am currently reading Find Me by Ashley Rostek, um, also on Ashley's recommendation, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm about halfway through. Uh, really cute. Um, already made me cry twice. <laughs> oh, and, no. <laughs> and I am planning on reading It Happened One Summer soon as well because Sarah wants me to read that as well. Ash, what have you been reading? So I have not been reading any contemporary male-female romances. <laughs> um, uh, I did read Haunting. Uh, I say it is Adeline. Oh, that makes sense. I'm saying it wrong. Because <laughs> they, they call her Addie. But, so I read Haunting Adeline as a group read with Sam and Sarah. And I have some serious theories on this. Um, So message me on our Instagram if you've read this and you want to discuss. I also want to talk about Zayd because he is like the crazy daddy that we all need. Like, he is so fucking unhinged. Like, I love him. And that (laughs) car scene, the car scene. You just want someone to strap you up in some seatbelts. Yes. Like, (laughs) <laughs> oh, I just, like I said, though, I'm surprised that there wasn't any ass eating in that series. But if you've read it, you understand what I mean. But um, I feel like it was maybe a missed opportunity. Um, so I also finished the Three Bears duet for this episode. And I read Blood Nor Money for this episode. I have read so many orc books. I read the Orky War Bride tale that Sam mentioned, and I read the first three of the Orc Sworn series by Finley Fenn. And I'm just gonna, just gonna reiterate the fact that there is so much cum. It's just everywhere. Um, so much cum. And I want to let you guys know, I cried reading a book for the first time. It was... Ooh. It was in The Lady and the Orc by Finley Fenn. If you've read it, you might understand why I cried as a mom. Um, yeah, it was just, oh, it was so sad. It probably was also partly the fact that I've been on overnight. So it was probably like, I think it was like 4.30 in the morning and I'm just like sobbing over these fucking orcs. Um, oh, I cried like three times reading that book. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, and I will say that, you know, a lot of the books like have a lot of the same... Um, themes or tropes I guess where there's like some miscommunication and there's like conniving going on by the orcs but they are good um every female main character is like different and you get it's like ice planet barbarians where they're all kind of intertwined um so I'd recommend those and I finished find me and oh I'm like reading your notes right now what am I doing um, so I finished we, had, we read a lot of very similar books. Yeah. So I finished Find Me, and if you guys want some Charlotte, like, smile like you mean it vibes, that book is very much it. It's super cute. All four of the guys are very cute. Who knows what's going to happen with that, but I think that we're all familiar with what's going to happen with that. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to look past the brother thing. I think I'm going to be okay. Um, and I'm currently reading the book Damage Gods, and I'm not sure if this is just going to be male-female or what's going on, but um, 
I have apparently been reading mostly monster romances now, and I'm just I'm okay with that. That's this is who I am now. It's who <laughs> the you new are. Me. Just you know, in time for spooky season. I think I think the tentacles was a real turning point for us as a group chat. I agree. <laughs> just like I feel like we all read A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor, and then after that, when we read the um, the Kraken book. Just mm-hmm. to really change things for us. It really did. It really opened our eyes to the world of monster romance. Yeah, and there's a really good um, Facebook group. It's like uh, it's like monsters nodding and demons, oh my. So if you're not a part of that group and you're interested in those things, find them on Facebook. There's some good recommendations in there. I get so many recommendations from all the Facebook groups we're a part of. Oh, but it's it's just, like, so good, and this is why my TBR is going to take me 4,000 years to complete. Listen, your TBR is out of control. We have discussed this. Yeah, but it's, like, I don't want to not add stuff, because, like, I'll remember what the cover looks like. I'll be like, oh, I wanted to read that one book that had this on the cover, so I'll, like, scroll through my, like, TBR looking for the cover. I Guys, screenshot Ashley's covers. TBR literally has over 1,000 books on it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> But you and Sarah will be like, oh, I need something to read. And you'll say what you want. And then I have a wreck usually, I feel like. <laughs> oh, there's, my gosh. There's a method to this madness. All probably, right. Probably need to Any- read a little bit faster, though. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Spot and Spice. Please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Join us next week when we interview Colette Rhodes and talk about all of her amazing works that we covered in this episode. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Smut and Spice Pod. If you want to send us any questions for Colette, we would love to hear from you there as well. We'd love it if you would share our podcast with friends and on social media. If you have any book recommendations, send them our way. And if you're an author who's interested in appearing on an episode, reach out. We would love to have you. A special thanks to our technical producer, Andrew, and to our graphic designer, Lainey, for our amazing logo. The intro and outro music featured on Smut and Spice is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. The link and licensing information can be found in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening. Bye!